0: From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lach. Deuteronomy 32, Hazinu. Watch out for demons! In this weekly portion of the Torah... Moshe gives all of Israel a song that tells us the ups and downs of Jewish life until the redemption will finally come. The song gives us two choices and their consequences. We can do what God says and go up, or we can do what God says not to do and go down. The ups tell of God's care and love for us. What could be sweeter? The Downs talk about such things as war and demons, God forbid. What could be worse? These demons are really bad news. They come with only one job to do. They are to torment. They have no good in them whatsoever. They burn and they cut down. They infiltrate your innermost mind and scream profanities in the middle of the night. They burrow in and dig their claws into your thinking. They fill your day. Then for some reason, they seem helpful and even give you seemingly spiritual gifts, such as correctly predicting the future, filling your mind with bliss, radiating bliss to those around you and causing you to appear to glow. The gifts are wondrous, but it turns out that these gifts merely entrap you further. You come to trust these voices, these powers, because you see that they have power. And then, just when you trust them, they turn fiercely against you. Oi, oi, oi! you are strapped into a chair, unable to run, helplessly forced to witness the violent battle of the demons loudly warring in your head. This is what you experience in your mind, and it is more real to you than the physical world. This week, two of the specific demons in God's arsenal are named, but there are really hundreds of them. Each is unique, it has its own specialty and function, which can be seen in its name. There is one for every horrible need imaginable. Each one is lower and crueler than the one that came before it. But really, let's be logical here. Are these demons real? Do they actually exist, or are they just metaphors, maybe over-dramatizations that the Torah uses in order to scare us into following its commands? When we learn the true function, we learn about the true reality. The overall category that includes all of the individual classes of demons is called Shin Dalid. We do not even pronounce his name, not because it is holy, as with the names of God, but because we do not want to even hint that we are inviting them into our lives. Why did God choose those particular letters to spell demon? A Jew is represented by the letter Yud. This is the first letter in the word Yehudi, Jew, and the first letter of Hashem's most holy name. When a Jew does something that goes against the Jewish way, his Yud will diminish. This is especially true if his act was related to idolatry. But it could happen from any deviation from the Torah's true values. The worse the sin, the more his Yud will diminish. It gets so dim that it is as if it does not even exist. At this point, Hashem sends this Jew a shindalid, a demon. This demon comes and torments that Jew. If the Jew does not turn from his evil ways, the demon will get worse or more demons will come. Each is uglier than the previous one until finally this four-long Jew decides to do tshuva, to repent. If he returns to the ways of Torah and turns fully back to God with love, then God brightens his Yud again. The more Torah and mitzvot he does, the stronger his Yud becomes. It becomes so strong that it actually attaches itself to the tail of the demon, and the Jew sees his Shindalad turn into Shindalad Yud. Shindalad Yud is one of the holy names of God. It is the name that signifies protection, among other things, and is written on the outside of our mezuzahs. So we see here that these demons are real. They are really Hashem hiding His face from those who sin. The fortunate sinners will get a demon to drive them so crazy that they turn from their sins and in the end see their demon turn out to have been God all along. go up. After finishing the song, God tells Moshe to ascend to this mountain and die on the mountain where you will ascend. There's a strict rule in learning Torah that every letter is critical. This means that nothing is extraneous. Each word comes to teach you something, otherwise it would not be there. So what is the purpose for the seemingly extra words on the mountain where you will ascend? The Torah could have simply said, ascend to this mountain and die there. The phrase, die on the mountain where you will ascend, teaches the essential lesson in life that we all die on the mountain that we climb. This means that during our lifetime, we climb a mountain day by day. We get higher and higher as we grow more and more. Our good deeds cause us to ascend higher, and our bad deeds either prevent us from going higher or, even worse, and depending on a deed, can cause us to slip and fall lower. Then, when we pass into the next world, we die at a height we were able to accomplish while we were here. What difference does it make how high we are when we go into the next world? Remember, high and low are really metaphors describing the concept of spiritual capacity. In fact, all talk of the world to come is metaphoric. Our so-called capacity means that our spiritual portion in the next world is fixed according to our ability to receive the spiritual light that will accompany that wondrous revelation. The more holiness we can bring into our lives while we are here, the greater our capacity will be to withstand the brightness there. If we are accustomed to holiness, we will be able to go right into that great brightness of glory in the world to come. This experience will be even greater than when Moshe walked into the cloud of glory on Mount Sinai. But if we are used to sinning while we're here on earth, our eyes will squint horribly at the bright light, and we will be forced away, as were the Jews at the bottom of the mountain. The most wonderful thing about living a holy life, even without considering the reward that is in store for us in the next world, is that our physical life in this world is better. When we walk with God in our mind, we walk erect and happy. When we walk with only the physical on our mind, we stoop with its weight. When we live a spiritual life, we look for opportunities to give. When we live only in the physical world, we look for opportunities to take. It is a well-publicized fact that religious families live happier and longer lives than non-religious families. Even without thinking of the great reward that is surely coming, living a spiritual life gives us the most joy even while we are here. There is one.